Dr. John and Dr. Kirk, what an honor to have you here. I'm going to bring New Zealanders who are absolutely gripped by this story of Sam and Cole and above all, baby Will. I have had countless messages today to say, please get the baby offshore. Please find overseas help. Please get second opinions. And that's what we've done with both of you. And you have generously offered them at the end of a very long day. So let's get straight into it. Dr. Kirk, you have, and it's very significant, just finished at the Senate COVID-19 hearing from Ron Johnson. And how long have you been there and what have you been learning there about how long this stays in the blood and how compromised uh, transfer blood, blood transfers may be? What have you learned? Well, I, th I think, so there were a number of us that were all at the hearing with, uh, with Senator Johnson. I think what we were trying to do is show how much that we don't know about the um, the biodistribution of vaccines and how long the gene product is around and still producing um, spike protein. The, the most recent study out of the nature of the paper cell um, uh, showed that it was up to 60 days, but that's what, as long as they, they, um, uh, they looked. I think my biggest, so the answer to a lot of these questions is we don't know because this is a new gene product that hasn't been used before and 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 it escaped a lot of the classic regulatory um, checks and balances that are in place for almost all um, all medical products. And so, but I think that you know the story with baby will, what is so compelling about that is we try to do everything we can um, to walk a family through heart surgery for their child. Um, we consider it a sacred honor when a family hands over to us their most prized, precious possession, and we, and we take it to the operating room, and the whole team that is in there is going to take this child and stop their heart, put it on heart-lung bypass, correct the heart, and, and, and have the heart start back up, and that is an incredible um, achievement, but it's with risk. And so what we try to do is work with families as much as we can. And that's why I'm, I'm very thankful Dr. John Cooperschmidt is here because we have worked with families. Let's say we don't necessarily agree and have the same beliefs that they do, but it's not our child and it's not our surgery. Um, so um, a lot of times, and what's Dr. Dr. John Kuferschmidt has been very good about is working with families with Jehovah's Witnesses who are Jehovah Witnesses and don't want blood. They feel it is like their family members getting raped if they receive blood. So um, we might not. But I say it. there, this is how Sam and Cole feel about baby Will having the jabbed blood that has been forced by a court order. That's exactly That's how they feel. And yep. to me, it's, it's it, it really doesn't matter if we absolutely agree with them. What we're trying to do is walk this family through a very traumatic situation in their lives. This is, in a lot of ways, a loss of a dream, a healthy baby that gets to go home from the hospital. And so we're already in a very difficult situation for this family. Families often don't survive this kind of trauma in their marriages. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we like to do everything we can to accommodate reasonable requests, even if, like I said, even if we might completely disagree with their requests, and it's not something we would do. But th that's what I think is really interesting about this case, because a lot of it is that we don't know answers to the questions everybody wants. We haven't done all the studies. We don't have all the research, but I, we have a family here who's very concerned and obviously loves Will very much, right? 
They love Will more than anyone else does. So I give a lot of credence to what they want to do with their child and the freedom in that beautiful family unit of living their life the way they want to live it. What they're asking is not harmful to their child. In fact, if you look at the motive behind it, it is showing how much they care and are concerned about everything that goes into their child. I respect that. I don't even have to agree with it all, but I respect that. The world you paint is the absolute 180 degrees opposite of what Sam and Cole have experienced in the hands of the doctors who initially, when I was their advocate, were saying, we won't look at a different kind of blood because we don't agree with it. We don't believe it. And I was saying to them as their advocate, please, it doesn't matter what you believe. Listen to the parents. And that's exactly what you are saying here. It is the belief of the parent Tell me more about that, why that's so important, the informed consent of a parent. Well, it's really important to informed consent if we don't know, right? We have to be very honest with that is, do we know this? You know, we know the blood is, is, is safe in terms of HIV and other things it's tested for, but we're in a new situation here. So we, at most we can say is we don't know. And they say, well, we have some concerns. Okay, how can we work within those concerns so that, that we feel that you're doing, your child is being cared for as the physicians feel they should be cared for, but you are, your decisions as a parent are already also respected. I believe the donor-directed blood is an option. They already have um, unvaccinated blood donors who are in the history and in the system whose blood have already been tested and followed. So that's a very reasonable approach. Now, I don't practice in New Zealand. I don't understand necessarily all the policies and laws that govern New Zealand. But what I do believe is that what the parents are asking is a reasonable request that should be given a little bit more time um, uh, to be considered. And Dr. John, tell us about your experiences with Jehovah's Witnesses. Because again, if you had a completely contrary religious belief, that really has no place in your helping them with their choice of blood source, does it? No, not within the context of legality. Uh, so Jehovah's Witness will not consent to blood. So most hospitals in the U.S. will take them to court and have the court take over the case and consent for blood. We do it a little bit differently and try and work with the family um, in this case, we would get the blood count up to an acceptable level for us to operate, we think, safely and do everything we can to get that child through that operation without blood. At the end of the day, we put the onus on us. I don't go back to the family and ask them to sign for blood. Uh, I have a consent form that was co-founded by the uh, church in New York and by our hospital lawyers. Uh, so both found it acceptable. And it puts the onus on me rather than asking the family to then uh, change their belief system. The Texas law will not allow me to let a child die if he needs a blood transfusion. It's beautiful. Tell us more about the, the bloodless. We've done over 200. Sorry, we had a little bit of a glitch in the, in the link Sorry, there. Are you, what were you saying, Dr. John? 
Um, I don't know what I was saying, actually. Um, you were talking about bloodless surgery, what you do. Yes. Tell us about the bloodless surgery, because that's something not many Kiwis know about. So it's, it's, it started in the United States strictly for the Jehovah's Witness patients, because um, that, that church or that religion is so adamant about not getting blood. Um, at the end of the day, though, that family wants what every family wants. They want that child to go home with them, regardless of whether it got blood or not. We've done well over 200 kids now. Only two have gotten transfused. We've done kids smaller than this, younger than this. Um, I think there's a chance you can get this child through this operation of bloodless, but you have to have a backup plan. Uh, you have to have blood available to do this operation. Um, and if you can get donor-directed blood, that would be a perfectly acceptable alternative. Goodness. So could you tell us a little bit more about how that works? Because we really have had the discussion in New Zealand only around blood transfusions. Could you just give people a little more of an idea of how that works? Yeah, we put them on erythropoietin. It's a recombinant protein, a natural protein in the, in the human body, but we use a recombinant form that um, over a period of two or three weeks, we'll get that hematocrit up to a level that we wanted. We, I typically shoot for a hematocrit of 50 to 55 and when my hematologist says I've got it at 50, I put on those guys within two or three days. It just gets done. Even if they bump somebody, it gets done. This is extraordinary for Kiwis who've been writing these messages all day. What other options are there for baby Will? We do not want this forced operation under the state for these parents who care so deeply. Could we go back to you, Dr. Kirk? You have been able to look at the, the vitals or the, or, or the reports so far for baby Will. What have you picked up from, from that sort of evidence today in the meeting, we've, the long well, meeting well, we've had? Yeah, well, I agree. I, I completely agree with the, the Kiwi physicians that believe that uh, Will needs a heart surgery. Um, it's um, not something we could do um, through the leg or anything like that. The, he does need a heart surgery and it will have to be an open heart surgery. Um, I, um, uh, all the questions that I had regarding about his heart was answered really, really adequately in the echocardiogram. I, I'm very thankful that his oxygen saturation is so high. Um, more, more importantly, probably is when I got to, Dr. John and I got to watch him on, a, on Zoom and we watched how interactive he was. You can see his head wasn't bobbing like he was in respiratory distress. There was no nasal flaring. He was very alert and active. Um, it seems like he's been doing very well with the, um, the feedings they're giving through his nose into his stomach. Um, so he doesn't have to do. So the biggest work a child has to do when they're newborn is feed, actually, especially if they're, they're suckling, um, either off a breast or a bottle. Um, and, and that uses an enormous amount of energy. If you take that away, children will come off, and um, especially if they were in some type of a distress, that they often will calm down with that. And, and so he looks in a very stable condition. And Dr. Dr. Cooperschmidt and I both thought, and we really don't like to operate around Christmas. Um, if we can avoid it at all, we like to sort of push that back. And I think at least, yeah, I haven't seen him with that caveat. I haven't seen him and put my hands on him, but everything what I was reading from the records was suggesting that we could probably watch him very closely and try to get him through um, the Christmas period. And hopefully, I want this to be a win-win, right? I, I don't want to beat up on the, on the doctors and, or, the, or the blood bankers or anything like that. What I'd like to do is come to something where we, we figure out a way to make donor-directed blood available, 
Will gets his surgery. The family doesn't have to travel halfway around the world. Um, the Kiwis can unite and say, wow, look, our, our country was so fragmented and we, this baby Will brought us all together. Where this people who disagreed now came together for a child and made it better. That's what I want. I, I'm not trying to get in a fight with the Kiwi government or the doctors over there. What I'm trying to do is sort of broker, and, and I think that's great to have Dr. Kuberschmidt, who has gone out of his way for so many, and people would come from around the United States to see Dr. Kuberschmidt because he was so dedicated to walking these families through a difficult situation. And, and that's what I think Dr. John and I would like to, like to be. Is we're, Like I said, we're not trying to take sides here. What, we're, what we want is everyone at the end to feel, wow, we helped this child wow, I have a beautiful baby home with me. That's, and, and so it's not like someone loses, but both sides win. That is Sam and Cole's absolute dream expressed repeatedly to me. And they will do anything for this baby not to have the risk factor of the blood. Uh, Dr. John, as a pediatric cardiologist, uh, cardiac surgeon, that's your role. What are the biggest risks, do you think, having seen the vitals on, um, on Baby Will today? How, how do you assess his health? Because it's good to get a third opinion. We're getting a second opinion and third here in this interview. Well, again, we haven't seen Baby Will and we haven't actually seen the echo. We've only seen the echo report. Um, but based on what we have seen, I actually think his risk is probably pretty low. And the biggest risk would probably be the right ventricle failing after surgery and might need to be supported for a while, either pharmacologically or uh, mechanically. But I think that that risk is low. Um, there is a risk of bleeding, infection, other things, but those are not, not insurmountable. This is, not, uh, this is an operation that's probably done routinely in New Zealand on non-Noonan's kids uh, on a regular basis. And I would think that the risk to him is extremely low. What about the chance of flying, Dr. Cook? Because many of these messages are saying, can you fly him offshore? Because this government should not be doing this to this family. It's traumatizing, clearly traumatizing Sam, the mother. Do you think a little baby like this could fly if we could get the courts to reconsider such a draconian uh, ruling that they made the other day? You know, I, um, I've been involved in this since I I started doing pediatric cardiology in, in, uh, in early 2000. Um, I started my fellowship in 1999, but I, I, did, um, I started doing international care in, in 2000, and I was bringing children who were quite blue, quite with low oxygen saturations from Mongolia. One of the sickest kids I ever brought was a child who had transposition from Uzbekistan. Um, uh, I've, I've brought many kids from Iraq who were, who were had saturations, not like 95, like Will does, but fifties and brought them in the, in the air. So it's not that he can't fly. Um, but like I said, what we're looking for is, is, is that not to have to happen? Um, and for everyone to sort of come together and say, how can we do, even let's say we disagree about this. Can we come together? And, and it, like I said, this is not an unreasonable request to have a donor-directed blood. Um, it's not unreasonable. I know it might be contrary to their current policy, 
But wouldn't this be beautiful if we could all come together for this and people who are on, you know, because COVID has been very fractionating in societies and our society has been fractionating. You're seeing protests around the world. I mean, in China right now, it's fractionating in terms of what the government by saying and what other people are feeling in this way. Wouldn't it be great if we took an example that is very the very heart of fractionated society because of COVID and came together and with compromise um, to do this. I think that would be, be beautiful. My wife and I love um, New Zealand. We, our last visit there, we just absolutely loved it. We can't wait to come back. And, and I just love the heart of the, the Kiwis. I, God has given you guys one of the most beautiful set of islands that, that I've ever been a part, been to. And so I would just love to see um, New Zealand have a beautiful win out of this. What you describe is what has happened. This baby has had an extraordinary effect from a government that has divided us north and south, farmer, non-farmer, jab, non-jab. All of these divisions have been tearing across our country, ripping our societal fabric. And this little baby has brought such love and joy. So the night before the hearing even, there were candlelight vigils and people just coming together in love for a tiny four-month-old child. So it is there, but the leadership is not listening to the people yet. And even within the hospitals, Dr. John, the parents have repeatedly said, we don't feel heard. We don't feel they're listening. We're losing trust in the doctors because they're rolling their eyes. They're dismissing us. What would you have a message perhaps for, for the doctors here? And I know you don't want to judge them. You don't know them. But would there be a message about uh, e even in your elevated position? Does it behove one always to treat the parents with the utmost respect? That's what I said when I advocated. I said, we traditionally listened to the, to the gut instinct of a mother. And this mother has a very strong gut in instinct. Is that something that is important to you, Dr. John? So I think Kirk and I would both agree on this. Our patient is not necessarily that child. Our patient is the whole family. Now, Kirk made a mention of something a little while ago, but in just in a brief statement about how this tears apart a family. If you look at kids with congenital heart disease, it's a chronic disease. This child's going to live with this for the rest of its life. 80 to 85% of those parents will end up in a divorce situation. It behooves us to find a middle ground that works for everybody. It's got to be safe for the child, but it behooves us to find a middle ground that works for everybody. Family, courts, the physicians, uh, everybody. You're such beautiful doctors. We've had so many reports in New Zealand since this rolled out of doctors being arrogant and, and somehow being run by some schedule from above. You are what medicine is really about. I think we'll have to get into government and import you both and rebuild the New Zealand medical system. Such wonderful attitudes that will make Kiwi hearts sing because this is what we had when I was a child, a very gentle form of respectful medicine. Could you tell me, Dr. John, what you are finding with this rollout, some of the waves of shock that have been coming through for those of us who chose to do our own research, to use our own brains, our own critical thinking, and not by the government propaganda, there have been waves of shock as this COVID-19 response has rolled out. To, to, to see the damage that it's done in our fellow Kiwis as well, to be told every night on the news it's not from the jab, when many of us know it is from the jab. So the propaganda is big here. What has most shocked you in the last two years as someone highly trained in medicine? 
Oh, I would say it's our inability to go back retrospectively and look at mistakes we made, thoughts that we had that maybe didn't pan out to be correct. Um, we have a, had a real inability to feedback and look at our, what we've done and, and whether it's right or wrong. And that's not really? just, that's everywhere. It's worldwide right now. Why? Why do you think that is? I think governments today have a very difficult time saying, I was wrong. And I think physicians also have that same problem uh, saying that. It, you get stuck and you just want to keep driving. Um, it feels to me that medicine for you is, is, is an act of deep service rather than an act of self-elevation. It feels to me oh, as absolutely. if this is a, a calling. What is it to you? Describe what medicine. You may inspire some doctor here in New Zealand to come back to his real Hippocratic oath. What is it to you, medicine? What is, it, what is medicine? Mm. What is it that you, you feel you are here in this world to do through this skill that you have? Oh, I think uh, taking care of children and children's families with heart disease is my life's calling. Uh, it's probably given me more satisfaction than anything I could have done. Um, that, that's been just an absolute, and it's a learning, it's a journey you're on continuously. You are absolutely always learning. And, and I'll tell you that a lot of things I was taught in training are just plain wrong, but you had to be objective enough to look at them and say, over time, I can do it better. I can do it better. Uh, and the part of that doing it better may be better interacting with families or, or with administrations or, you know, courts. Um, but you have to constantly be moving the needle, uh, changing. What a wonderful answer. And Dr. Kirk, perhaps we finish with you. What is it that has so drawn you with such passion and love to this sacred version of the career that can be defiled, as we've seen in New Zealand, but you too make it feels sacred once more. What is yeah, it you know, love about this? Dr. Kuperschmidt and I have had the, had the pleasure of working with each other around the world, um, taking care of a lot of kids who had no access to heart care or heart surgeries. And uh, um, uh, boy, that is, you know, it goes back to the founders um, of, the, of our country um, over 200 years ago when they were making their declaration of independence from um, Britain. Um, the people got together and they said, we, we, we pledge our lives and our fortunes and our sacred honor. Um, and I always come back to medicine to me as a sacred honor, um, especially taking care of, it is such an honor to be in such an intimate place with families, especially. And when a, I, it is true around the world, the hardest thing I've ever seen anyone have to do is hand off their child. Uh, knowing what we're going to do and the risk that they may never have that child in their arms again, to be involved in that relationship and have a, a, a family member, uh, a, you know, a, a father, a mother, um, hand you their child. Uh, it, it is such an honor to, to have someone trust you that much. Um, and, and to be able to, with what, the skills um, and the opportunities that God has granted us um, to be able to use that and, and, and praise God that he has allowed us that honor to work on his creation. Um, 
that's what it's it's not for prestige it's not for money it's that interaction with the family and to be able to when i when i go out and tell a family how their child's doing is this happens true around the world is that when the child is better when the child is safe is safely back in the parents arms and they've realized that the surgery has gone well i watch mothers especially all around the world do the same thing they go like this And it's like they have been holding their breath for days or weeks or months until they could finally breathe again because their child is back in their arms and the baby is safe and hopefully repaired. Um, To be a part of that is an incredible gift. Um, And it's an incredible honor. So I would say probably for me, it's that it is a sacred honor that, that Dr. Cooperschman and I have been called by God to be a part of. That is so deeply moving. And I think what you've just expressed is what every loving ethical Kiwi wants for this baby. So to have this court decision come in last night, late in the day when we couldn't even lodge an appeal because they cynically lodged it after the deadline for appeal, when we seemed to have no options, when we seemed to be in the darkest part of the darkest night and to go to bed last night, thank God, please help us. And to have you both come on board today is is just extraordinary. I was sitting in the courtroom the other day with that very thought, but the opposite of it, thinking if if they come and they take this baby that is always on Sam and little Will absolutely blossoms on his mother, if they take this baby from Sam, I don't think either one will survive. And I could feel that mother's eternal cry. They cannot do this. Mm -hmm. This court cannot do this to this mother and child. Um, one of the I'm um, going, yeah. one of the the last thing I'd like to share. Uh, it also comes from our Revolutionary War. Uh, it's from our, our our first and probably mo- one of the most famous presidents, um, President Washington, and um, he had many different regiments that little mini armies that were going out. Um, and one of the regiments um, uh, had the statement, which came from a philosopher who said, there may come a day where you cannot trust governments. You cannot trust your fellow man. At that point, you appeal to heaven. And so one of the regiments of George Washington's army, their sort of motto was an appeal to heaven. And at times like this, what do we do? We appeal to heaven. We appeal to the goodwill of all people to how do we come together and God, will you help us be peacemakers um, in this situation? Um, so, like I said, everyone at the end of the day goes, wow, I'm glad we got that baby fixed. And and uh, I'm glad we did it together. I, I was in the first meeting with them, had, having never met them before, had a phone call saying, please help. And I came in and then these doctors, when I just questioned them and said, would you listen to the parents, got annoyed and flounced out of the room. And, and I had been very respectful, but they slammed the door. And these two parents I'd just met turned to me and said, what do we do? And I thought, what do we do? And I said, let's pray. It was an incredible beginning of this journey of the three of us. Could I, could I end where I began? Because I know you've had a long day and you work so hard. Could you just give us some other, uh, some other ideas of some of the shocking things that are still coming out about the COVID-19 uh, hearing from Ron Johnson? There is much that we as a people on this earth have yet to learn about the results of what really is still an experiment on the human population, is there not? Um, 
Well, you know, probably the most I can tell you is my, I have a PhD in cardiovascular physiology and pharmacology. And 30 years ago, I was studying what causes the heart to be inflamed. Um, I was looking at all the minors, the little cells that are in the deepest parts of the heart tissue. Um, and so I spent five years of my life really looking at that and trying to answer those questions. Um, and I think what came out of the hearings today and what is coming out of um, that is for me, especially for me, is that now we have three different studies that show that the spike protein, which the mRNA vaccine products make, is, is a direct cardiotoxin. And we're asking our bodies to make a cardiotoxin. Um, it doesn't affect everybody, but it affects a lot more people than we'd ever allow that many people to be affected by a cardiotoxin. And so I think that that is one of, the, and obviously it does many other things. Uh, there are other components of that. And so I think that, um, but like, you know, but like Dr. John said, it's really hard for big governments and powerful people to have the humility to say, we made a mistake and we need to stop. Um, and I think what, what, we, what the world needs is a lot more humility from the leaders um, and the governments that can say, you know, I, my, my professors who would say, you know, I don't know boy, I was wrong on this. I, I didn't lose respect for them. I gained respect for them. And there's this sense that if you're not very proud and sort of boisterous about who you are, that somehow people will lose respect for you. But I think it's the exact opposite. When we can, when we can share with people where we were wrong and where we made a mistake, um, that is what our world really needs. It really needs our, our leaders um, to walk in humility. Um, and I think they're afraid they won't be respected. Oh, they'll be respected all the more. What an absolutely beautiful note to end on. But with that salutary reminder that uh, a cardiotoxin cannot be put into the body of a little four month old boy when his heart is needing open heart surgery, we cannot add that risk factor in. So the pure blood versus the blood in our New Zealand blood bank, which comes from people with zero stand down. I wanted to end there, Dr. John. In New Zealand, you can go in and have your fifth jab and the next day donate blood in our New Zealand blood service. And people are now questioning because of little baby Will's case, what on earth is going on in our blood service? There seem to be no protections, no analysis. They just throw all the blood in together, not even knowing who has just recently had a jab and what mRNA or spike proteins might be in there. What, what would you suggest or what are you seeing across America? Is there a flowering of blood banks for unjabbed blood in America happening? Geez, I don't know the answer to that, Kurt. Do you? That's yeah, there's amazing. been one that has opened up. I think that the, the main answer to that question is, is that we should know the answer to that question, and that question is not being looked at. Yeah. So um, the... Um, and this is all when you use a new technology and it comes out very quickly. Like this is what Dr. Kuberschmidt was saying is, is that we need to be very retrospect in how we do things and, and first do no harm. So, um, uh, there, but there are some people who are coming out with um, a um, blood banks that are, um, are specifically um, for, with the unvaccinated blood. Um, but but like I said, what we were talking about today is we should know the answer to that question is, is there free floating vaccine around 
um, 24 hours or two days or a week, does it still, is it still circulating or has it all been absorbed? Um, and we don't have the answer to that. Those data aren't out there. And so I think you can say, just like they said, we did a lot of these things in early COVID out of an abundance of caution. I think you could say for blood banking, I understand if families want to say out of an abundance of caution, I would prefer you not to use this blood. That's a fair thing for them to say. And I respect a parent's wishes, just like I do. We would do everything we could for parents who are very concerned if they're if their family, if their belief system had it that they should not receive blood. So I think an abundance of caution is reasonable. And I also think about working with parents so we can walk them through this is also very reasonable. What an absolute delight. And if I was selfish, I'd keep you engaged in conversation much longer because it's so stimulating and interesting. But there was that moment for me when I let up that same breath. And it was a moment when you were giving your second opinions about baby Will. And I saw Sam, who has been so stretched and so stressed by this court case that was never uh, necessary and by her treatment in the hospital by some of the nurses and some of the doctors. I saw her blossom back into that glorious mother, that mother bear, and little Will looking so happy as a result. And I gave that same sigh of utter relief. Thank you both so much. It's been a delight, and thank you for your second opinions. All right. Well, thank you, and we will appeal to heaven. We will, and we'll keep in touch. (laughs) Okay, thank thank you you so much.